Here's the story of two dental hygienists from opposite sides of the world who became friends because they realized their professional lives were so in sync. One in Australia and one in America, both exuding their high passion for high-level patient care, both pushing back on legacy dentistry. If you are ready to revolutionize the practice of dental hygiene through science and innovation, join us as we are Disrupting Dentistry. Hello, Disruptors. This is Melissa Obradka. As many of you know, Tabitha has recently endured a terrible loss with the passing of her daughter. I wanted to take a moment to just thank everyone for their outpouring of love, compassion, comfort, and prayers during this tragic time. The episode that you're about to hear with Susan Cotton was recorded prior to this event happening. Thank you again for your love. Thank you for listening. Hello, and welcome to another installment of the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. Uh, We are celebrating with an incredible guest today. It is April, and April in dentistry is Oral Cancer Awareness Month. So we are so incredibly lucky to have the guru of oral cancer here in the United States, Susan Cotton, with us on this episode. Susan, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you, Melissa and Tabitha, for having me. I'm excited to be with you guys. I love your podcast. I love what you do. So thank you. It's an honor. Oh my goodness. Thank you. So, oh, yeah, BT Dubs, if you're new here, my name is Melissa Obratka. I am your American dental hygiene host and my buddy over here. Tabitha, and I'm from Australia, and I'm super excited to have Susan here because we've been talking about this for so long, and we've been saying, we have to get Susan, we have to get Susan, so we're really excited. (laughs) Yes, we are. So uh, let me share a little bit about Susan. She has a bachelor's in dental hygiene, and and she is an OMT, and recognized in dentistry for her expertise in oral and oral pharyngeal cancer screening and the human papillomavirus. Uh, She lectures and does workshops to help dental and medical professionals be confident, thorough, and efficient when screening and educating about oral cancer and reducing their professional liability. Susan shares current evidence and research in oral and oral pharyngeal cancer using her cotton method. So I am super excited to hear all about this today, Susan. I'm sure our guests will too. So can we start Um, with Susan? You finished high school. How did you? Hold on a second. Um, I got a audio recording has run into a problem. You may need to reload the page. Uh, this just came up. All right, cool. Yeah. So I'm. Yep. Are you better? <laughs> yeah. The, it's gone now. I, Sorry, I don't want to keep on going. Sorry. Yeah. 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 All right. Sorry. So, give it a couple of seconds. And then she can edit it together. So, Susan, you've graduated high school. What made you go to dental hygiene? Well, dental hygiene is actually my second career. I, right out of high school, I went to college. I was going to major in fashion merchandising. Oh, wow. I, I love clothes. And I thought, and I love to shop. I'll major in fashion merchandising, right? <laughs> I hated it. I hated it. It was, it was boring. It was just boring. It wasn't stimulating at all. And so I dropped out of, um, I was at Colorado State University. I dropped out of college and I did a few things. Um, 
I've always worked with my dad. My dad was a veterinarian. And so I was working with my dad as just doing everything in the veterinary practice, front office, vet tech. I've helped surgeries for forever. And um, then I got married and I had my daughter. Then I got divorced. I was back at um, the veterinary practice working with my dad and I started doing dentals. And um, I was happy there and I was going to stay there. But one day a hygienist came in and she brought her dog in and we were talking at the front desk and she said, you know, you should consider dental hygiene. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. I never thought about dentistry or dental hygiene. And so we had a couple of friends who were dentists and I went in and I shadowed the dental hygienist. And I thought, yeah, I like this because I knew healthcare was where I wanted to be. You know, I, I grew up with it. My dad was a veterinarian and I was always at the clinic. And so I took my prereqs and I was accepted to University of Colorado School of Dental Medicine, their Department of Dental Hygiene. It was a Bachelor of Science program, amazing program. Unfortunately, we don't have it there anymore. And um, that's, so I was actually in my 30s when I went to dental hygiene school. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was later as well. I, I, I graduated at 30, but I went a bit later because I had a, a different career first as well. So that's pretty amazing. And then, so you've, gra you've graduated hygiene school. Where was your first job? I found this amazing dentist to work for just outside of Denver, a little north of Denver. I worked with him. But, you know, I was a single mom. And the hours just weren't great. It was 7 to 5. And, I, of course, I needed to be there at 6.30. You know, didn't leave till 5.30. But I loved the office. So I found another office. The hours were better, a little closer to home. But I kept that job there on Fridays because I could hit, the hours were different on Fridays. And so I was at this one office in Louisville for 17 years. And, mm -hmm. um, after leaving the original office and I, I loved it there. I was Amazing. there for 15, I was there for 15 years with one dentist and we had associates come and go, but, um, and then he sold the practice and then I stayed another couple of years. But I, I feel so fortunate that I was at this one amazing office for so long. We just, um, we clicked. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And that then is very cool. How did you go from, obviously, you've gone into dental hygiene and now so much of your career is about oral cancer awareness and HPV. What motivated you to become really involved in this area? Was there something that happened or some light bulb moment? Like, can you tell us how you got there? Thank you for asking. Yeah. So it was a couple, well, actually three different things. First, it was my, my clinical gaps. And admittedly, in my story, right out of hygiene school, I was always thorough with that EOIO that extra oral, intraoral evaluation. But then as things got added on to us to do, 
and technology came into the dental hygiene operatory. Oh, well, let's give the hygienist this to do. She can print out this. She can do this. She can do, you know, they don't have that much to do. And <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. And then I'm sorry. And then there were just other things added and added. Well, what's going to give? Yeah. What's going to give? While I always screamed, I wasn't always thorough. Sometimes I would palpate the thyroid. Sometimes I wouldn't. Sometimes I'd palpate the floor of the mouth. Sometimes I wouldn't. And I always checked the tongue. But my mantra now is it's more than grasping the tongue because it is. But anyway, so I and I was at this office for so long and I knew my patients. Well, I knew who was at risk. Right. Mm. Yeah. So that's the story I told myself. But what happened in 2008, we had a new patient to our office, and she had been previously diagnosed with HPV, oropharyngeal cancer. She also had HPV cervical cancer. And in, and that was 2008. And at that time, we were just on the cusp, really, of hearing about HPV and oropharyngeal cancer. And, you know, of course, it piqued my interest. I'm like, what? I know cervical cancer, but oral pharyngeal cancer. And so she was my patient for a couple of years. And and I was looking into it. I was researching. And while I was her hygienist and I was doing everything I knew at that time to help her manage the oral side effects of this cancer, I didn't really know how this cancer had affected her entire life until one day. She came in for her hygiene appointment. Of course, she was my favorite patient. And you know how we develop this relationship with our patients. And we were talking about our weekend plans. She was headed to a good friend's wedding. And she said, Susan, all I want to be able to do is to go there and anywhere. Laugh out loud, smile and take pictures without the constant fear that somebody will see what my teeth look like, mm. but I can't. You are the only one who knows what my teeth look like. Mm. Of course, we were both crying and, um, and it was at that moment that I knew I didn't know enough. Mm. I was headed to my own big event that weekend. I was going to see this guy, Donny Osmond, <laughs> at his fan club, yeah, at his fan club get together in Las Vegas. And oh, what was my concern? Are my teeth white enough? Because I'm going to see Donny Osmond. I mean, this guy grew up on my bedroom wall, right? His posters plastered. He's just nine months older than me. He was, you know, he was that teen idol that I grew up with. And of course, we were going to meet one day and get married. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That was that was me and uh, Joey McIntyre from New Kids on the Block. Yeah. So we ended our appointment, you know, just crying and hugging, and <clears throat> she went to her event, and I went to my event, and 
at that event, I mean, it was it was a weekend with Donnie Osmond. It was me and my sister and about 300 other women. And it was at the Las Vegas um, Flamingo showroom where he and Marie had their show. And one morning we got up and worked out with Donnie and it was just a lot of different things with Donnie. But one thing he did, um, we were in the showroom and he, it was real casual. He pulls up a chair and says, what are you doing to make a difference in your community? A lot of people don't know, but he gives back in a lot of ways. He doesn't advertise it. And he said, I want to encourage you to make a difference in your community. And here's what's going to happen. My assistants through this weekend are going to be asking you, what do you want to do to make a difference? Tell them. Well, two days earlier, I had that conversation with my patient. And so I said, I want to raise awareness about HPV and oral cancer. And this assistant looks at me. He's like, wow, that's really interesting. And so anyway, Surprise, and then, <laughs> and then towards, so towards the end of the event, we were all in the Flamingo showroom doing different things. And he said, okay, I've picked 15 of your ideas and I'm going to call you up on stage. I was one of those 15 went up on stage and he said, you have 30 seconds to tell me and everybody else what you want to do to make a difference. And so here you are lined up. Here's Donnie Osmond. He's writing things down. There's a big camera in your face. I have no idea what I said, but I was one of the 10 that he selected to be a part of his Make a Difference program for the next year. Wow. That's and incredible. so here, here we are, the 10 of us up on stage. He gave each, each of us $300 and he gave us a camera. He said, go out and make a difference. Document what you do. I'm asking two things of you. Please come back next year and present what you've done. The other thing I'm asking is, please give me your cell phone number. I'm going to call each of you once a month to check in with you, see what you're doing, encourage you. And, and I thought, right. You're going to call us once a month. I don't believe that. Well, he did. He wow. did. Amazing. Yeah. So once a month, I mean, after the third time, every time he'd call, he'd say, Susan, Donnie Osmond. And I say, you know, Donnie, you can just say Donnie. I know it's, you know, you don't have to say Donnie Osmond. <laughs> anyway, so he, you know, he really encouraged us, was really interested in what we were doing. Well, you know, on that flight home, I thought, what in the world have I gotten into? <laughs> right? Yeah. And the pressure of your idol checking up on what you're doing and how you're making it as well. Like, that's not just, I've made this decision, I'm going to do this. But your idol, the person that you're like, whoa. Like, so I just can't imagine the pressure that that would have felt. The excitement and fear all wrapped into one. Yeah. Exactly. And, and just, it was like my 13 year old self was aroused. You know, it's like, oh, but, you know, really as time went on, it wasn't so much that I really saw a different side of him, the real side of him. And 
um, it, just, it gave me a really different perspective on him yeah. to really, yeah, you know, you still kind of idolize him and love him, but now it's like I really respect him for who he is off stage. What an amazing, incredible, totally. And and as you were speaking, two things happened. Like when you first told me the story or, or asked the story of being in your dad's veterinary office and the hygienist coming and just planting that seed in your mind, it gave me the chills because like that was one time the universe made that happen for you. And when you said that, it made me think, look at what she has done. And yeah. that one person influenced her. You know, and then now hearing this story about Donnie, now because now I feel like we're on first name basis. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> like, just the fact that, you know, just one person's impact on another and how you've impacted our industry and from like where I stand tremendously. Like mm. I have learned so much from you from a distance. So like, it's just incredible how the universe plants people in, yeah. in certain sequences and how, like, if you didn't have that experience with that patient right before going there, yeah, like your trajectory could have been totally yeah. different. What a sliding right. door went there that just yes. changed. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It literally gave me the chills and it, I started to cry at one point because yeah. I'm like, oh my God, like, that's just incredible. Yeah. So you went home, you've been having these phone calls with your idol. You somehow have to play <laughs> the phone <laughs> I would not be able to do that he's giving you this money so what did you do with that money and what did you document you know so on the flight home I was like you know I have no idea what's going to happen but I knew the one thing that needed to happen was my patient needed to be able to smile again yeah she needed a new smile so a lot of things happened that year. You know, I got involved with the Oral Cancer Foundation and organized my first oral cancer walk in Colorado. There were other patients in my office. Well, the first thing I did that when I got back is I sat down and have a, had a conversation with the two dentists in the office. And I said, here's what happened before I went. And here's what happened this weekend. Here are the things that I'd like to see happen. Will you work with me? And they said, absolutely. That's awesome. And so there were four other patients that I saw that were um, periodontally involved. They didn't have dental insurance and they weren't able to come in and do their hygiene. Like you recall, like they were, they needed to, they couldn't afford it. And, and we see that all the time. And so I saw them at no charge. I, I would clock out when they came in. We'd see them at no charge and just would get, we just worked with them to get them as healthy as they could. And we continued that past the one year. And then we worked with my favorite patient. And in nine months, she had a new smile. Oh, and she can go wherever she wants to go and smile, take pictures. And we were all bawling that day when everything was finalized. And it just, I can't ever talk about this without just getting choked up. But the before and after picture of her, it changed her life. Yeah. I mean, we say that all the time. Your, your smile is your signature. Your smile is this. 
Well, I tell you what, oral cancer survivors, any head and neck cancer patients, and they lose that ability to smile, it's huge. It's huge. And so went back the next year and presented everything to Donnie. You know, um, nine of us showed up again. He gave us three minutes to tell our story beforehand. We sent pictures that he showed up on the big screens in the showroom. And um, I'm like, three minutes to tell what I did in a year? Um, but you, know, so you, have it, you have it scripted out. And here, here I was. I was up on stage, and I had everything written out. I, and I read it because I thought, there's no way I can remember three minutes of content and, and say it. And now I can get up and give a three-hour course and remember what to say, right? But... Um, after that year, I just, the passion of it and the difference I saw it made in her life. But I also surrounded myself with experts because I needed to go back to that thorough screening every patient every time. And you know what? Some other things had to give in my appointment time. This is cancer. Amen. Amen. It's cancer. Yeah. Yes. Calculus and is we, petrified and dead. Cancer yeah, right? is something that saves someone's life. Right. And we 100%. we get we get to educate about it. We get to raise awareness and we get to perform this life-saving evaluation on our patients. And I wasn't thorough. I wasn't confident. And so I surrounded myself with experts to learn and to become that. And really what I say now is to have excellence in oral cancer. And I had somebody say to me, you know, you shouldn't say that because, you know, excellence in oral cancer, that just doesn't fit. Well, you know what? The definition of excellence is the quality of being outstanding or extremely good. Okay, It's not perfection which we strive for in dentistry, right? We are, yeah. we are anal. But if we're outstanding and extremely good at this, we can make a difference. Yeah. And so that's, and I found that so many, not just hygienists, but dentists as well, aren't confident yes. in this procedure. Agreed. And it is a procedure. Yeah. And, and I think it gets looked over. People get busy, like you said, and we mm -hmm. get focused on one thing, whether it's drilling the tooth or cleaning the calculus or doing other things. But nobody else in the professional world is looking in people's mouths besides dental. Right. Doctor. Right. Sure. And, and you know, the, the big thing is um, it doesn't bring in production. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, I'm glad that you said it because it's truth. It doesn't bring in production. And it's more than what this evaluation is more than what it once was. You know, the gold standard is the EOIO. But we know so much more now. And I love the phrase, what we know now. Because yeah. what we know now is so different. And, you know, in my cotton method, I have four pillars of screening. Number one is understanding and knowing the etiologies those causative factors. It's not just tobacco and alcohol. No. It's HPV, but also betel quid. Chewing betel mm -hmm. quid 
is considered not just a risk factor, but a causative factor. Yeah. And then understanding all of those additional risk factors, they're not really causative, but they increase the risk. And periodonti periodontitis is one. Obesity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Immunocompromised. And then knowing the signs and symptoms. So there are symptoms that can present long before we ever see anything in the mouth. Are we asking those questions? Are we telling and educating the public and our patients about those questions so they can advocate for themselves and be aware? Mm. Yes. Yes. They, they, they want to know. They want to know. And then the fourth pillar is doing that thorough EOIO. Yeah. And being confident in it. It's amazing because um, when I when I do my oral cancer screen at the end of doing my perio chart, um, you know, I often say I'm doing an oral cancer screen, not because I saw anything, because but because I do it for everyone, so that the patient doesn't freak out. Like you know, because we like lift your tongue and be pressing underneath and doing all this stuff. And so many times, like I work in specialist practice, so everyone's referred to me. So I'm not their normal clinician. I'm seeing them for a small period of time, and then I'm going to job them back to their general practice. But nine out, times out of ten, they'll say to me, thank you, no one's done that before. Mm -hmm. And I'll have Same. to admit, I'm probably not as thorough as I should be with extra oral. Like, I'm not checking the thyroid every time and doing stuff like that. Like, I know that that's something that I need to get better at. Now that you're saying that, I'm like, yeah, I need to get better at that. I'm really good at intraoral soft tissues, but probably not that good at extra oral. I actually had to take my daughter for a while to a pediatric endocrinologist because she had some goiters that we were just monitoring. And at one point <laughs> she did the exam. I said, can I do my exam and show you and make sure I'm doing it correctly? Because I'm a dental hygienist. And she was like, oh my gosh, mom, make it all about you and your dentistry <laughs> stuff. I, like, it was, it was really, I was like, you know what? I'm going to get every bit of my copay out of this appointment. Yeah. I'm going to ask what? her for her advice. So she gave me a little coaching because I always felt like I'm feeling it, but do I even know what yes. I'm feeling? Is it correct? Is it not? Because there was one time in my journey where I felt something that felt a little enlarged to me. I had Doc feel it too. And I said, you know, I can't tell you with certainty if there's a problem here, but it does feel like it's a little bit off in my opinion. So I would encourage you to go see your physician and have it checked and see if they make a referral to an endocrinologist. Yeah. It could be nothing, which would be great but I'd rather us not miss it and just yeah. take the extra steps to check it out. And then I got yelled at when they came back. It wasn't anything. I went. I had that with a patient I sent to the ENT who she told me, she mentioned she has a sore throat a lot. And I said, that's not normal. And, um, and she said, and I said, how long have you had a sore throat for? And she said a couple of months. And I said, that is really not normal. And she told me that her physician had said, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. They can't see anything. I said, well, what did they look down your throat with? So they just Their looked. Eyes. And I said, so hope, <laughs> like what kind of look did they have? And she's like, I'm like, you have to see the ENT. And so like I wrote a referral and sent her off and then she came back and she's like, they found nothing. And I was like, well, it's better something and not <laughs> that's what That's what we want. Nothing. Yeah. So when people go in for their colonoscopy, yeah, Are they pissed you off nothing. when nothing is found? Yeah. Right, right. That's such a great point. 
Yeah, when we have our pap smear, are we pissed off that they did it and they didn't find anything? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's I, way more invasive than looking down the throat. I'd much prefer to go to ENT and get a scope down my throat anytime. Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. I love um, it. Like, sorry, go, Melissa. No, I was just going to say, that's just such a great point because, <clears throat> again, if we can just equip you as clinicians to have tools in your toolbox that if that conversation comes up, that's such a great thing to then turn around and say to a patient, I'm sorry, right. do you say this to this and this doctor when you get that done? Because right. We get bullied and like kicked and abused for for trying to do the right thing all the time. So it's yeah. like no wonder clinicians get frustrated, burnt out, and then stop doing it because they're tired of getting crap for it. Yeah. Right. Sorry, There's also legal that. ramifications if you miss something. You're legally <laughs> responsible for that. So, um, you know, when you're thinking about the busyness of your appointment and what you've got to do, you really have to prioritize it. Number one, for the patient's sake. Like, that is the first reason why. But number two, you're legally responsible for this. So whether you want to be or not, you've accepted that patient into your chair. You have a responsibility now when they've come for an examination, when they've come for a check, that this is getting done. And, and I know in Australia it's expected that you're looking. So, um, you know, you have that responsibility. So it's really, really important that you're doing it to cover your own butt. Right. Absolutely. Well, you know... Um when we talk about responsibility, so the coding, our CDT codes, where the oral cancer evaluation lies is in the periodic exam, the comp exam, and the perio exam. And those used to read oral cancer evaluation where indicated. They don't read that anymore. They say oral cancer evaluation, period. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll great. tell you what, it was a group of dental hygienists that got that changed. We know Patty DeGangi, Dental Codology yes, Consortium, and I'm a part of that group. And so in 2019, when I joined Dental Codology Consortium, we had our meeting. Patty said, okay, what codes do we want to work on to submit to the ADA Code Maintenance Committee meeting? And, um, or, and then we look at codes too for changes in dentistry and hygiene to to restructure those so they fit what's happening now. And so what I said, I said we need a separate code for this evaluation. Yeah. And so I headed that group and it I'm not going to take responsibility for it because it was a team effort and we submitted several different codes and we went in person and we submitted these codes and um, they rejected the separate code for the oral cancer evaluation and they were adamant against it. Somebody came up to Patty later and said, do you know the main reason why? Because they feel like they they would have more liability if there was a separate code. <laughs> And, and one of the dentists on the um, committee said, because I was up there at the microphone testifying for this code, and he said, I do this every time, and I can't imagine that anybody isn't doing this. No. <laughs> Dream world. Well, you live in a bubble. Seriously. Yeah, it, but, you know, we learned, but we did get in the periodic exam and the comp exam, the verbiage changed. 
they didn't change the perio, but we got that changed and it went into effect this year. So when that's being submitted, that is not an optional procedure. It's not when those codes are submitted. But we do this evaluation other times, right? So in my mind, we need a separate code. And we're going to submit for that again. We learned a lot and have some strategies for moving forward for the next submission. We have a separate code in Australia. We have an oral cancer screening code. Um, I don't tend to use it, to be honest, because I just do it as part of my normal examination. I know some people that are using different modalities like a veloscope or things like that will mm -hmm. use that code then when, they, when they're bringing in different modalities like that, I suppose, to try and recoup some of the costs of those extra things that they've um, purchased. So going back a little bit in the conversation, um, when you were saying things that appear before you'll see it in the mouth, um, can you talk about some of those things? Sure, absolutely. So what we know now through evidence is that persistent sore throat. Yeah. Persistent cough, hoarseness, change in voice, difficulty swallowing, the sensation of something caught in the throat and won't go down. Could be numbness, persistent pain. Yeah. And so, you know, I spoke yesterday, I gave a three hour presentation at a dental hygiene school in Wyoming and um, we were talking about this. And so I've added to my presentation because I always get asked, well, but why those? Why those symptoms? So I have a picture of the head and neck anatomy. And when you look, we know the tongue is a big muscle. But when you look at the tongue, and if there are tumors, especially oral pharyngeal tumors, posterior base of the tongue, lingual tonsils, those palatine tonsils, um, really anywhere in the head and neck, it starts to impinge on nerves, on blood supply, on the throat. If there's a tumor back there, they're going to feel like something's there and won't go down because there is. Yeah. So that's, I, I love that you're sharing this right now because that would change how I question patients. So when, when my patients come in, I'm always like, have you noticed any changes, any issues in your mouth, anything that you're concerned with? But I would change my verbiage and ask those questions too. Any yes. persistent sore throat, coughing, irritation in your throat? Have you observed or noticed any of that since the last time I've seen you? Yeah. And, and that one little tweak opens the door for more investigation. And it's such a minor change, but it could be a life-saving change. Right. Yeah, I, I believe there are lumps, yeah. bumps, ulcers in your mouth. Like, yeah, yeah, because they just don't tell you things. And they, they know it's right. there. They just don't think it's relevant to tell you. Like, it's exactly right, right. And, and why favorite. would somebody think, you know, trouble swallowing or a sore throat has anything to do with yeah. their dental appointment? Well, until we educate them, they don't know. Yeah. Right. Yes. 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 I believe we need to have an oral cancer risk assessment. Yeah. That should be part of the medical history update. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've developed one. And um, so offices and DSOs that I work with, um, you know, I give them the information and they can implement it however they would like. 
but we need that. You know, I went in for my mammogram. This was several years ago. You know, they give you the iPad, you fill out the information, and then they started asking questions. They were doing a risk assessment. Yeah. And it did a few things. It educated me. It piqued my interest. And they they did a lot of things there without ever having to say a word. Yeah. And we can do that too. So what are some of the myths you think in oral cancer that, that we need to bust within our own community? Great question. So the myth that um, a lesion has to look suspicious before we refer it out. Yeah, mm -hmm. there are characteristics of suspicious lesions that we that will pique our um, curiosity and make us investigate further. However, what we know now is persistence. Mm -hmm. If anything persists, anything, a lesion or one of those sym symptoms persists for two weeks, it deserves further investigation. And that's what the experts say, yeah. you know, usually two to three weeks. But I, I know so many stories, so many stories after having been in this oral cancer world for going on 11 years now of survivors or those that haven't survived. They told me it didn't look like anything. We'll watch it. Yeah. What are you watching? What? Yeah, what exactly. If we, what if we started looking for precancer? Yeah. A person, what if we found dysplasia first? What if we found milder, se se uh, severe dysplasia first? That's the cornerstone of our profession is prevention. Yeah. So yeah. We're I know. Getting ahead of it, not being reactive. I don't know why more people don't ask about HPV infections on their um, medical history form. Like, have yeah. you had a diagnosed HPV infection? Yes. Because straight yeah. away, we know, we know. All right, you've increased your risk. So we need to have a discussion yes. about this. Um, and, or, you know, have you been vaccinated for your HPV as well? Like, so we know, all right, that's going to decrease your risk because you've been vaccinated for that. But, like, these are important questions and, you know, it's easy to put that in the medical history form and, it, and someone can tick. It's not, the big problem is so many people don't even know. Right. Yeah. I mean, so now HPV causes more oral pharyngeal cancer than it does cervical cancer. Wow. They, they estimated that that would happen in 2020, but it didn't. It happened actually, I think it was around 2015. But wow. we still wow. hear more about HPV cervical cancer than oral pharyngeal cancer. Yeah. And one of the things that I get to do in the state of Colorado, I am the dental work group lead for HPV free Colorado. And so we specifically work with dental professionals and offices focused just on HPV. And what we've developed, I'm so excited about this, and it's just about done. If you know Travis Rogers, he's worked with us on his company's been developing this template. And it's a template that asks those questions that dental offices can implement. Are you aware that there's a cancer vaccine. It's a cancer vaccine. Are you aware there's a cancer vaccine to help prevent throat cancers? That's the first question. 
have you or your child or children been vaccinated for HPV? The next question to check, have you performed that oral and oral pharyngeal cancer evaluation? And then the next question, did you provide education? Because see, we don't have metrics on this at all with our coding. And so yeah. what this is designed to do and our training that we give is to first educate the dental professionals and the, everybody in the office about HPV, because I can tell you from experience, not every dentist and hygienist is, has a solid knowledge base about HPV. Yeah. And I also think a big problem too is, is like, you know, if we're having people diagnosed with HPV, I don't know many medical doctors that are then discussing the oral implications from it. Right. Well, a lot of them don't know. I was going to say, or they don't even know. I've had um, HPV cervical cancer when I was 20 and no one mentioned anything to me at the time. Wow. Implications or anything like that from it. And it was, I was doing a course probably about 15 years ago and they said it and I was like, what? (laughs) What? (laughs) You know, I now have this risk as well. No one had told me this. Like, so I hadn't learnt that at school or learnt learnt that from my doctor. And I never, like, obviously every time I see my physician, they ask me about that, you know, we talk about it and I have more regular, um, like pap smears and stuff like that, but not once in in the 20 plus years since I was diagnosed with HPV cervical cancer and I had it removed and now I have a 12 monthly check for the rest of my life. Um, no one ever mentioned my mouth to me and no one's, you know, like I had my checkup last year, no one said anything to me again. Yeah, they don't, and they don't know. Yeah, uh, you know, from my experience, these are some things that I've heard from dentists. And I was presenting at one event and I was talking to a dentist who was a presenter and we were talking about HPV. And he said, well, I guess at some point we're going to have to start talking about this in our office. I said, well, that some point has come. Yeah. And, and, and we need to. I've also heard... I'll never talk about that in my practice. People just need to live right. Oh, my gosh. How are they going to know if we don't educate them? And it's not about li- it's not about li- because they we, we see it as this sexual and it is it's the most common sexually transmitted infection in the United States. Anybody who's Globally. sexually active is going to be exposed to it. Yeah, we know okay. that. We know that. It's even what's your definition of living right versus someone else's definition of living right? right. You know, like, oh my When we looked at HPV vaccine, when it came out, they wouldn't give it to you if you're over 25. So, um, yeah, they changed that here too. Mm -hmm. So, there's a big chunk of people that didn't, haven't been able to actually access that vaccine. And they weren't giving it to boys for the first, like, five, six, yes. seven so yeah. the spreaders weren't getting it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so here in the United States, so Gardasil, you know, it's Gardasil 9. It covers nine of the most um, concerning HPV types. Two are non-cancer-causing. The others are cancer-causing. But it's approved for ages 9 to 45, and, you know, optimally, 
um, for the best immune response is to give that when they're 11 or 12 years old because because research shows they get the best immune response at that time. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. And I think, you know, I think it's because how it's transmitted. Yeah, I just don't talk about they don't want to talk about oral sex. Well, it's so funny. I would have that I in my operatory, I would have the um, I I use and I wanted to ask you about your thoughts on devices that help with diagnostics, because I know the research doesn't really support them very much. Um, But I had a brochure about oral cancer in my room. And I would always say, especially to like my patients that were just about to go off to college. And now I have to have this conversation with my daughter. Um, but you know, like, uh, here's my mom moment. I'm going to get on my mom's soapbox and I'm going to share this with you because I know this isn't always a comfortable conversation to have with your own parents, but here's the things that increase your risk for oral cancer when you're not smart and careful about sexually transmitted diseases. And I would say my piece and I say, I didn't mean to make you uncomfortable. It's my job to educate you and I want you to be healthy and safe. So now I'm done. I want you to go off to college with this piece of information. And, you know, sometimes, especially more of the boys, they were just like, please stop talking. But, you know, I need to <laughs> lay my head on the pillow at night and know that I did the right thing. The girls were more like, thank you for sharing. I didn't realize that. It's good to know that. Because you you do have a role that's different in, in these patients' lives. And this isn't always the easiest conversation to have with your child. So. Yeah. At your job to do that and and have something in your room that helps you kind of segue. Right. It's just it's again it's education. We are our job first and foremost is education. Yes. Yeah. And um, but I wanted to segue into that, Susan. What are your thoughts on like a Velscope or an oral ID? Do you like them? Do you like? Obviously, we still have to palpate and use our eyes. So, do you think they're a great uh, technology to use in conjunction with or like? What are your thoughts on them? I do. Because here's here's why we don't have any perfect way to identify oral cancers unless there is some obvious lesion there that is just, you know, that is it. We're losing the battle in this. Every day in America, just America alone, 147 people are diagnosed with oral or oral pharyngeal cancer. That's six just Americans every hour. Wow. And in five years, only a little more than half of those will be alive, has a very high mortality rate. And we're losing the battle. It's on the increase. And so if we can use everything at our disposal, the thorough EOIO, asking about those signs and symptoms and the adjuncts, are are you going to find things that are nothing with those? Yes. But we do, too, with our other things. Right. But what's wrong with that? We want to know that it's nothing. Right. So we should use everything that's at our disposal. There's a code for an adjunct. There's yes. There's a code for the EOIO. Mm. Isn't that sad? That is really sad. I went to some education on the weekend, and I actually went to a lecture by Professor Dale Howes um, on oral cancer. He is a surgeon that reconstructs. And he unfortunately had some horrific photos and gave an amazing presentation. But some facts that really stuck with me out of his presentation was in Australia, we have more people die from oral cancer than we do from breast cancer every year. 
but we see the breast cancer campaign is really big and we have paid creams, we have paid screening surfaces. So after a certain age, you can get your mammograms for free. Um, you just, um, after 50, all breast screening is free in Australia. And if you have a strong medical history like mine, then you get it for free earlier if you fall into the risk category. But we have nothing for oral cancer. And then um, there's a lot of Medicare paid services if you get breast cancer, but we have nothing for oral cancer for reconstruction for all of these things. And it was quite horrific to see because we think as oral cancer as, as small numbers, but then when you're seeing, well, hang on, this is overtaking breast cancer, this is massive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right. the mouth seriously needs to be reconnected to the body. It's yeah, a global yeah. issue. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's very, very. I've, I've heard a lot of patients here, a lot of oral cancer patients, they can't get reconstruction because it's considered cosmetic. I knew you were going to say that. That's deplorable. Deplorable. Cosmetic. It is the vitality of our mouth and our teeth. Yeah. We use it for communication. We use it for sustaining life. We're yeah. taking in sustenance. Christian, teeth God aren't sakes. just cosmetic. We need our teeth and our oral health to sustain our life. Animals die if they lose their teeth. Yeah. Yep. And with the oral surgeon um, of the United States saying almost, or it was 20 years ago, that you cannot have health without oral health. Yeah. Where has, why is our insurance companies not allowing reconstruction because it's cons considered cosmetic? How is that? It doesn't well, align with the problem in Australia. Yeah. And why, and why do they get to say that? Why do they have so much power? Yeah. They, why yeah. do they have so much power over what can and can't be done when it's needed? That's a whole nother topic, right? We're going to have to have you back to have another episode. <laughs> I have a question for you, Susan. Um, one of the things that struck with me on the weekend when I went to see this and we were seeing the aftermath of the removal of tumours and stuff like that, the, the thing, they didn't talk about it, but the thing that I was thinking about the whole time was that there must be a huge psychological weight on these patients and you talked about it with that patient that really hit home for you. Yeah. Do we have statistics on depression and even... Um, because I looked at some of these patients and I thought, oh my God, how high is suicide in post oral cancer patients? Is that it? like, is anyone investigating this? Because no. it was showing like some of the worst of the worst, but I was like, holy, like I looked away a lot. Like I was like, that's really hard. I said to him at the end, why didn't you have a trigger warning on this presentation? Like, cause it was so full on. Yeah. You know, I don't know the statistics, but I know there is a high suicide rate. Yeah. In in these patients, you know, they can't, um, they can't put a sweater on and cover it up. Yeah. Um, they lose, you know, some lose their ability to eat ever mm -hmm. again. They live on a feeding <laughs> tube. It affects their speech. Um, their appearance. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, it's everything. It's their yeah, appearance. It's their, it's their mouth. It's, I mean, this is what we see first yeah. when we, when we meet people, it's, mm. um, it's devastating. These survivors are the strongest people I've ever met. Yeah, they are. They are. I've seen some in Perio Cross where they've been restored with like Optrigate. No, not Optrigate. I'm sorry. What is Optrator. now? I can't think of 
Thank yeah. you. Operator. I'm talking about the, the retraction yeah. device instead of an operator. Um, and it's like, you know, I even feel like, even though I know what I'm looking at, I just feel bad when they take that out and what I can see now, it's just like, it, it's so invasive yeah. and, and they're just like, you know, it, it is what it is. They've, they've accepted mm-hmm. it. This is their life and, and they're moving forward, which is phenomenal. But the, the mental strength that it takes for someone to be that way, it's like, thank God we have the ability in, in, you know, prosthetics to be able to do that for people. But still like, you know, every time she takes that out before going to bed and laying down next to her husband, like, how does she feel about that? Like yeah. it changes their face. Like her whole face collapses when that comes out, you know, and, and just like, and I don't mean to be disgusting, but like there's mucus inside of it when yeah. she takes it out. And, and this is just, yeah, like you don't yeah. think about how all of the ways that that affects them. We, I think we get so desensitized to that because we're just about like, here's the problem. Here's the solution. Let's fix it. Right. But then like that long-term like maintenance day to day, how they're living, how does that affect them? It's, it's so much bigger than that. And if you think about the impact on people, like we don't take into consideration cortisol and adrenal fatigue because that's all happening every time, like every time she takes it out of her mouth, that could be happening to her. The anxiety spike she feels having to like, that different person because it's, it, it's, you're a different person. Now you're a cancer survivor. When that's in your mouth, maybe you can forget that you were because you look more like you did before. Right. So it is, it's such a huge impact. Susan, I just wanted to thank you because this was so amazing. I, I've personally learned so much. I'm sure our, our listeners are going to feel the same way if, and we've only scratched the surface here. So I'll be on for a second episode. <laughs> you need to be on for a second episode. Probably have to do a whole series with you. Um, so we can talk about the oral inequalities that we mentioned as well, (laughs) but how, how can people get in touch with you to learn more from you? If they want to invite you to do education, or if you have any online learning, please share with our listeners how they can contact you and learn more. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You can reach me at, um, my email. It's oralcancerconsulting at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn. And I'm on Facebook, my website, oralcancerconsulting.com. And um, I've got, you know, it's Friday, April 8th. It's Aloha Friday with Susan. If you know me, I love Hawaii. <laughs> and I'm giving my three-hour course on oral cancer. We're going to look deeply at the four pillars of screening. I've created a video um, broken into sections for teaching for the EOIO and we'll be utilizing that. So if you want to join me on Friday, April 8th, it's 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Mountain Time. Um, that's what I've got going right now. I've got a few things coming up as well. But yeah, you can reach me at those contacts and yeah, I would love, I, you know, and that's my most favorite thing to do is to, to get in with DSOs and dental offices and do that hands on. And when somebody has that aha moment and as an educator, you get it when they have that aha moment of, wow, now I get it. That's what I love to do is yes. because that's where it all starts is right there in the op. 
yeah, when we're screening for this cancer. Yes. Well, yeah. thank you so much for sharing your story with us and our listeners. Thank you so much for all the critical work that you're doing and helping elevate care and, and helping our profession understand why we need to step into the role as a healthcare hygienist and not a tooth scraper and all the fun names that we have. Um, but yes, thank you so much. The work you're doing is so, so needed, so incredible. And, and you have so much compassion for patients and passion behind what you're doing. And, and I absolutely love that. So again, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Well, and I want to say a big thank you to Donnie Osborne because he's changed. Yes. Thank you, Donnie Osborne, for his influence. <laughs> this just... is a shout out to Donnie Osborne with, you know, um, I just found that story to be really amazing and it was such a sliding door moment. It was so cool to hear. So thank you for sharing that with us. And I do think we need to do a part two and probably a part three as well. But um, yeah, that's an amazing area. And I just want to say, yeah, big shout out to Donny Osborne. You've changed the world. So <laughs> thank you. In, in more ways than one. <laughs> yeah, I love that philanthropy. Um, so listeners, thank you again for joining us. Uh, please go check out Susan and all of the avenues that she had mentioned. We'll make sure we link those in our show notes as well. So you have easy access to it. And in the meantime, get in those operatories, check for oral cancer and keep on disrupting. Bye. Thank you both for having me. Thank you. It's been fun. Hey, thank you again so much for tuning into the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. We love to hear from you viewers and we love that you join us for our episodes. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And leave us a review. We love reading reviews from all over the world. It's one of the things that actually makes all the hard work feel really worth it when we get to see which episodes you're enjoying or some feedback that you give. So leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or write something on our Facebook or our Instagram page. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks so much for listening. Keep on disrupting.